and what I began to see is if someone showed up on a Sunday morning that was homeless or addicted or fresh off the street or out of prison, we knew how to love on them, get them coffee, invite them in to be part of that worship experience. But then as people left to get back to their life and that person was standing in the hallway or in the lobby or out the front door, they're looking for like, what's next? Hello, and welcome to the City of Fruit podcast. Fruit is used as a metaphor, not of our direct actions, but the things produced as a result of our lives. This isn't about just the things that we're accomplishing, but the true deeper meaning and lasting impact of what we're doing. This is your host, Palmer Thomas, and I'm excited to have you here on this journey with me. Today, my guest is Brian Cedarwall over here at the Denver Dream Center. Thanks for being on, Brian. Absolutely. Pleasure to be on with you. It's uh, the City of Fruit podcast, so the question that we always ask off the top is, what is your favorite fruit? Oh, I'm an orange fan. Orange. I hate peeling them, but once I get a good orange, I'm an orange fan. Why is that? Why? What's, what's What do you like about an orange? Uh, it's my favorite color. It's my favorite fruit. I love the, um, yeah, just the overall, I mean, vitamin C, right? Yeah. That's oranges are it. That's fair. It's just a bit messy for me. But like yeah. I said, again, I hate process. peeling it. Yeah. I hate getting the orange that doesn't peel well. That drives me crazy. But if you get an orange that peels well, done. Yeah, love it. Well, that's a good answer there. Um, so, Brian, you are, uh, I guess, just like briefly explain your role, who you are, what you do um, in life, and then Denver Dream Center and how you kind of arrived at this point. Mm, in life, I'm a husband to one wife. I'm a dad to three kids. And um, I know you're glad I clarified that to only having one wife. Um, I am the pastor and director of the Denver Dream Center. Awesome. And uh, how did you get to this point with the Denver Dream Center? Like what, how many years have you been doing this? What does it kind of look like? Yep. Um, been a few years now of ministry, graduated Bible college and went to West Palm Beach, Florida. Got to hang out there for some beach ministry time. Wasn't too bad. Was there for a couple of years, then landed in Los Angeles and pastored for eight years. Really got connected into the um, just the areas of community, seeing what the church was doing, but really having a heart for outreach, serving in our city, uh, being a sports fanatic. We launched a program to do midnight basketball leagues, working with guys coming out of gangs off the streets, uh, a learning curve for sure, being the random white guy filled in a room in a gym uh, with guys from South Central and Compton and Watts that didn't look like me, but uh, basketball was a breakthrough and just saw things happening that uh, – I uh, want to be a part of and we got connected then with the Los Angeles Dream Center, saw a ministry that was having an impact in the city, their housing, their adoptive blocks, things that um, I just loved. We fell in love with and wanted to be a part of and see God use that. A few years into that journey, we were again in LA eight years, then felt a transition. God opened a door. We moved to Denver in 2006. So we've been here almost 13 years now. And that's been a journey of just getting to know the city, the needs, figuring out uh really what God's doing and where we fit into that. And um, ironically enough, I'm not a patient person. So that was an interesting journey of being patient for the right doors to open, the right relationships to um, really all come together through starting to serve with men coming out of corrections and build a program and an inroad into there. So five years ago, we were able to go all in and launch what we now call the Denver Dream Center. Awesome. Awesome. And what does the Denver Dream Center look like to you? I mean, what What's a day-to-day? Is there any day that looks the same? 
There's um, absolutely never a day that looks the same. But you know, our, our simple core values this, our mission statement is to rescue, rebuild, and restore. So uh, we tell people, you know, spiritually speaking, we're, we're like lifeguards. We want to get into where people are desperate for hope. They're dying. Uh, they need to know that someone cares. And, and we want to just jump in and pull people out. Um, so we spend a lot of time, again, in reentry. That's a huge passion of mine, um, getting to know the stats of, of things like the United States has less than 5% of the world's population, but we have over 25% of the world's incarcerated population. Mm. Um, sentences for some low-level crimes, possession charges, things where guys are serving 20, 30, 40, even, even longer sentences. Um, if they do get out, recidivism rates are high. They can't find a job, a place to live. That's huge for us, recognizing that um, Department of Justice says that every child that has a parent incarcerated, there's a 75% chance they'll go to jail or prison themselves. So then we start focusing on kids and, and programs that support families and knowing that it's really hard, even though we are committed to it, but it's hard to break somebody free from years of uh, addiction and years of incarceration and those recidivism rates and, and um, um falling back into their addictions. Um, we, we tell people more failures than successes. It takes a long-term commitment to that. But if we really want to break the cycles of addiction and poverty, homelessness, um, uh, incarceration, we have to get back to families. we got to get in where these moms are struggling um, to pay rent, to provide food, to get the right education and resources where kids, um, by the time they're turning eight, nine, 10 years old, most of the kids we work with, you start to see a shift in their behavior, uh, the pattern of where they hang out, who they're with, and the, the disconnect from school, from positive atmospheres and environments. And so we want to get into where we can support families and kids and programs. And so we've launched like our Adopt-A-Block program that uh, allows us to work with Denver Housing Authority, the city of Denver. We come in and have an entry point to just serve. No questions asked. Um, provide resources, help, and services that then now opened up like our, our DDC Academy. We do after-school tutoring and art programs, a lot of sports. We get kids plugged into um, activities, events, experiences, keeping them out of trouble around the right atmospheres. And of course, we have like our dream closet that's our resource base that makes sure that uh, people have clothes. Um, men transition, have work boots. Families have food in the fridge. Um, it's amazing and breaks our heart how many kids are sleeping on the floor. They don't have a bed, a mattress, sometimes even a pillow or a blanket. And so we wrap all of those programs into just a rescue, a rebuild, and restoring lives. Yeah, love it. Love it. And I've been able to be a part of it a little bit um, to see like what the adoptive block looks like. Um, one of the things that I love that you do with that is that the places that you're in are consistent places. It's the same place. And that's uh, what every other Saturday, um, the adopt block. Yep. Yep. Again, coming from Los Angeles, you know, the, the temperature changes and the chance of rain are pretty minimal. And so we were a part of adopt the blocks where you could be incredibly consistent because you weren't fearing for snow or crazy weather or temperature changes. And we know that most of the families we connect with neighborhoods that we serve in consistency is key. And they're coming from broken promises, broken relationships. And what we didn't want to do as the church, as a representative of Jesus, is come in, promise that we would be there, promise to do something, bring resources, stability, or hope, and then cancel or not show up. And so it's taken, it's taken years of just laying the groundwork of getting to know the leadership of Denver Housing, getting to know our city, getting to know the neighborhoods, and finding out before we establish a concern really what our cause was. 
uh, or before establishing calls, what our concern was and, and getting into those neighborhoods. Um, and by God's grace, we have incredible relationships now with the city of Denver. So we have an MOU uh, written agreements with Denver Housing to where we can use their spaces and their places. We do the same thing with Denver Parks and Recreation, where we have indoor spaces everywhere we go. So for us, consistency is the key. So we're committed every first and every third Saturday. We've never missed one in, uh, in over five years now. And those sites that we go into, it's the same neighborhood, the same location, the same time, basically the same program. Now we'll add different things in, like Easter's coming up this Saturday, and we'll you know, add in the Easter egg hunt and, and food specific for that. Summertime, we'll do different barbecues or uh, we do a summer snowball fight, things that, that add creative elements, but the framework is always the same. It's the easiest way to plug in businesses, churches, you know, Denver police officers, people come and they know, and then the neighborhood knows. So when we knock on doors, kids come out, it's an hour, hour and a half of fun, engagement, getting resources into their hands, and then we feed the entire neighborhood. Yeah, love it, love it. And like you said, I think um, one thing that you do that's great is, and you were just talking about this, is making serving easy. Uh, people overcomplicate serving, you said, and and sometimes it seems like a big venture, or it seems like a big deal, or it seems like something where it's almost so, uh, you don't know how to do it, so you just don't do it. And oh, so absolutely. What's the what's like just the easiest way for somebody to get plugged in with something that you're doing? Yeah, I mean, we tell people, you're exactly right, it, it, we overcomplicate it. A lot of times, again, speaking specifically to the church world that I was so deeply part of, you know, we, we have to have trainings and scheduling and, and promotions, and we make such a complicated process just to go out and help somebody. Mm. So we tell people, if you can show up and you can smile, then you can serve. It, it's not complicated. You don't need to have a background in it. You don't have to have a training in it. There are rules that we lay out as far as safety and protocol, but none of those are complicated. In working with Denver Housing to get on site and certain things, you know, we back on track and there's there's protocol that we go with, but just showing up, just get there is what we tell people. It's not complicated. And and I'm raising three young kids, and for me, I tell people like it's when been one of the most valuable lessons is to have my boys and my family plugged in serving, creates a culture within them of giving back, a culture that breaks the entitlement. Phase that so many kids have today, um, they're catered to, they have access to everything they need through their iPhones and internet and just stuff. And if we can get down to serve, uh, it breaks that. And so really Adopt-A-Blocks would tell people that's, that's the entry point. Um, you don't need uh, experience or background. You can come by yourself, you can bring your family, you can bring your church, you can bring your business. We've had groups as many as 600 that have called ahead and we've put into Adopt-A-Blocks and we have Individuals that show up by themselves. We had someone just a couple adopt blocks ago that they wanted to volunteer somewhere. They found us online through something, and they came by themselves to volunteer. They've loved it, and they keep coming back. And so Saturdays and adopt a block it really is just that. It's fun. It's simple. It's an engagement. It's the entry point. And when you come to that, that may be the thing that you do. And you come back once or twice a year as your schedule allows. It may be something that you commit to every other Saturday. Um, and then it might be like some people, they go deeper and they meet a family and then we run programs through Adopt-A-Block. So there's, there's moms that have kids that we do our families in transition program that we'll meet with during the week, whether it's counseling, again, plugging kids into sports, there's, there's variations that dig deeper. Uh, but Adopt-A-Block's the, the entry point. Just yeah. show up and serve. You know, it's a, we, we live in such rhythms 
where it's like if you don't have a rhythm of breaking that and, and going out and serving or going out and doing something else or whatever, then you you just get stuck in your thing. So something that's only, you know, an hour, two hours on a Saturday, um, hopefully is that breaking point to kind of right. open people's eyes. Into the- and, and, and that's the number one thing. Everybody's busy. And, mm-hmm. and I get it. Again, I've got a, a high school kid, a middle school kid, and an elementary school kid. They're all in multiple sports, school programs. Um, I coach two sports teams. And so I get it. Like time is, is, is tricky and it's tough. But ultimately, you'll make time for what you deem is important. And if serving um, someone else is important, you'll make time for it. You'll, you'll, you'll figure out what it looks like to take a break from something else to just show up for something. And, and I don't know if I've ever had someone leave serving, especially through an adopt-a-block, that has ever felt like it wasn't worth the investment of their time to be there. And we try to get, make it very specific. So it's, you know, it's at 10 o'clock you show up and we wrap up feeding the neighborhood at 1230. So it's not a lengthy full day. I get that. That's where people I think get burnt out because they go to volunteer somewhere or as churches, oftentimes we take on such a big task that it's a four to six hour, eight hour like event. And by the time you're done serving, you're like, man, I'm good. Like, I'll see you guys next year when it's the outreach event again. So we try to make it to where it's highly relational, very simple, best use of your value and time, but it has the greatest impact on the city where we're serving. Mm, yeah, that's awesome. And I love that about the impact on the city and that you're you're actually getting involved with the government. You're actually getting involved with, you know, the 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 the, pol- the politics, the people that are that are making decisions. You're not just working um, not with them, which ends up sometimes being working against them in some right. ways. Um, when you're dealing with you know people on the streets, when you're dealing with people uh, incarcerated, when you're dealing with people who um, are just needing kind of this extra support and extra help, like the government's doing something in those places as well. And so to be able to come alongside, and um, I remember you were talking one time about like the government is is trying to find all these solutions, and they're not including the church at all, which is crazy because right. we should be people who right. are like, hey, we're willing to serve and lay our lives down and and do whatever, and they should be like, hey, we're going to come to you first. Yeah, so no, it's crazy we haven't been. Absolutely. I mean, that's part of the gap that I've seen in doing this long enough that when I was uh, the, the full-time pastor um, in Florida and in California, and then for a few years when I first got to Denver, what I found is on Mondays, we wake up having a staff meeting. Staff meetings talking about wins and great moments from Sunday and how many people you know came to, to Christ and how many were in attendance and who showed up to you know, small groups or Sunday school and in all great things. And, and that's the, the core components of what makes Sunday church just that. But we would spend our time then going into staff talking about the next weekend worship experience and the sermon series and, and hopefully planning out, you know, you have youth ministries and, and kids ministries and stuff, all those things that are sort of the, the common DNA of churches. But I don't know if we ever sat around on a Monday in a staff meeting talking about affordable housing or reentry issues, um, yeah. addiction recovery problems, and, and, and heroin hotspots in our city, and things that I started to recognize, well, that's what the city's waking up, and they're talking about on Monday. And, and the city's not talking about how many people are at church on Sunday morning and how many people raised their hand or prayed a prayer, um, even though there's a lot of people in our city that are deeply plugged in to their faith and to their church. I mean, we, we live in an incredible city right now with great leadership, but there was a disconnect. And and what I began to see is if someone showed up on a Sunday morning that was homeless or addicted or fresh off the street or out of prison, we knew how to love on them, get them coffee, invite them in to be part of that worship experience. But then as people left to get back to their life and that person was standing in the hallway or in the lobby or out the front door, 
they're looking for like what's next. Like the sermon was cool, worship sounded great, but I'm homeless, I'm addicted, I'm in trouble, I need help, I'm desperate. And then we would start calling organizations to like get a bed, get a meal, and where can we send them? And I felt it was sort of on both sides to where the more time I spent with our mayor, our police chief, um, our city officials, just being there to support and serve and figure out how we can plug into what the city's working on. As they were talking about viable solutions, I rarely, if ever, heard the church brought up as part of those viable solutions. I wasn't in a meeting where all of a sudden be like, well, here's what the church is doing. We need to tap into them. Um, even though on a given Sunday morning, there's tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people that are at a place of worship on a Sunday morning. They're giving their time, oftentimes giving their money, but not directly connected to the concerns of our city. And on the same side, in the in the church, we're not talking about, again, those core issues. So there's just that gap for me. Yeah. Absolutely. So our heart for the Denver Dream Center really became, I tell people all the time, when I get a chance to speak or share, we talk about impact and we talk about influence. We want to make sure that we're having an impact. We do track numbers like crazy, how many we serve, where we're at, what's going on. You know, in 2018, we got to serve just over 30,000 people in the city of Denver. Christmas alone, we took care of 10,000 kids, right? There's massive numbers that we say that's impact. People are coming to Christ. Marriages are being restored. We can share story after story of men that are transitioning from prison that have found housing and jobs. Um, it's our adopt-a-block numbers, people that are getting meals. Like, the impact is huge, but we also want to have influence. We want to put the faith community specifically in a position that when the mayor, when the, the city council, when Denver Housing, when anybody of influence, we call them our gatekeepers of our city, are trying to find viable solutions to critical needs and concerns, that we at least have a seat at the table. You know, to tell people there's no way we don't have the ability or the resources or the numbers to manage and meet all those needs that are out there. But the same way that the city's trying to figure it out and they don't either, but the faith community is the largest volunteer base in the entire world. We have manpower volunteers that need to know how to get plugged in. The city needs to know how to use that. And there is that almost a stigma, I say, where people believe that there's this separation of church and state. So what the government's doing can't connect to what the church is doing. And what the church is doing because their faith base can't get plugged into what the government's doing. But at the end of the day, right, the heart of the issue is, is the common good of people. It doesn't matter if you're a faith-based person or uh, a government-based. Everybody needs a, a place to stay. Everybody needs, you know, food to eat. Everybody needs education. Everybody needs the opportunity for transportation. I mean, all of those core components that make up our life, um, it doesn't matter where you come from. We're all fighting for the same common good of people. And so, um, our goal is that, that influence. And I mean, God's been gracious to where now years and years later, after serving and being consistent, um, we get to meet and, and I get to be with the mayor consistently. I'm with the police chief. If you come to any Denver Dream Center events, you're going to meet the police chief because he's an amazing man and he's there. We plug in police officers all over the place. We work closely with Denver Parks and Recreation and Denver Housing. We work closely um, with community corrections and Department of Corrections to where, as they're looking for viable solutions, we at least have a voice and a seat at the table. Yeah, I love it. And, and I'm sure you've had some crazy stories of, of just people and transformation and, and real lasting impact that you've seen. You know, I know I've been around a little bit and seen uh, people that have gone through programs and now they're like serving and leading. And, and um, I'm sure you just have endless stories of, of those things. Um, what is something that you've learn that you what is a fruit in your life that you've learned like what is a lesson that you've learned by doing this that being a part of it i think that that's something that 
the volunteering does, it not only benefits the city, it not only benefits the place and all the people, but it also um, it should have a lasting impact on the volunteers. We're, you know, no one's different. We all need something. Absolutely. We all need each other. We all need relationship. What's like the biggest thing that you've learned? Well, I mean, one of our core verses is, you know, Proverbs eleven twenty five says, he that refreshes others will he himself be refreshed. And I think sometimes we, um, we reverse that order. And we think that we've got the answers and we've got the solutions and we are going out to serve. And so we're going to go make the impact in everybody's lives. And obviously there's a truth to that. We're going out to be a blessing and provide the resource. But there's something about serving others that you walk away with probably the greater blessing because it does more for you personally than it does for that person you meet. That person that you meet, if it's just a one-time meeting, there's a blessing there and there's a, a stability that we give them. There's a resource that we are able to establish. But when you walk away and you realize that really wasn't that complicated and I got to just, you know, make somebody smile, hear their story. I, I was able to help them get how, I mean, it does something for you. It, it's really it's perspective, right? Like every one of us live a life that's busy, that's full, that's filled with a million moments. You know, social media has not done anybody uh, a lot of good for the most part because we get on social media, we start looking at what we don't have, what other people are doing. It's the the fear of missing out, all those things that complicate our lives. And and so sometimes we just don't do anything because we feel like we don't have enough to offer. Or there's, we use the words value and purpose all the time. Everybody wants to feel valuable and everybody wants to have a sense of purpose. And when you go out and serve, no matter where you start, it, it establishes one that you've got value um, because you're you're contributing. And you've got a sense of purpose. And so when you go out and serve somebody, um, as much as it helps that person, um, it helps you. It's, it's perspective, right? It gets your eyes off of a person, a problem, or a situation. What I don't have, because there's always somebody else that's worse off than me. And if I can speak life into them, if I can bring hope into their world, um, at least for me, and I think it's pretty, pretty common across the board, but when I go and serve, I always leave, no matter where I'm coming from, how tired I am from the night before, when I go out and serve somebody else and I get to be a blessing, and I walk away, I'm, I'm, I'm immediately refreshed and excited for the next one. Yeah, love it, love it. Well, that's great. I think, uh, I think, that's, I think we've covered a lot of things. I would love for people to get involved with what you're doing. Um, what's, uh, so the best way is, is Saturdays, adopt a block's a good entry. Saturdays at 10. Um, how do people find that? Just plug social media or on your Facebook, or what's the best way for people yeah. to just follow what yeah, you're doing? Yeah, we've got endless opportunities to volunteer. Yep. The easiest and the most simple way is adopt a block. First and third Saturday every month, go to denverdreamcenter.org. Find Denver Dream Center on Facebook or Instagram. Everything's posted on there. You can send an email, contact us you know, from the website or any of the social media outlets. It's always the same, 10 a.m. We meet at the Mulroy Center in Westridge. From there, we go out and we serve you know, in the city. The other thing is we have stuff, I mean, it's every day. So for people that you know have kids and maybe there's baseball games and things on Saturdays, there's daytime activities, there's evenings, there's tutoring, after school, single moms, men and women in transition, you name it, there's an area to serve. And at the end of the day, if you can't serve, you can give because there's more needs than we have resources for. Sometimes it's as simple as buying uh, someone a pair of work boots. It's renting out a, uh, a motel room for three nights to get a single mom and her kids off the streets. And all of that, you know, sometimes it's just, we need $100 to make that happen. Sometimes it's multiple nights, but it's every gift whether it's your time or, or financially, it makes a difference. Awesome. So I'll, uh, I'll link that all in the uh, description as well, how to find you. And I, I appreciate your time. Absolutely. Let's make it happen.
Thank you again for tuning into episode one of City of Fruit Podcast. We're a young podcast, so we're in need of your help. If you'd like to financially support or have any ideas of people to have on the show or ideas to talk about, please email me at cityoffruit at gmail.com. Also, remember to follow on Instagram at cityoffruit for all the updates of what we'll be doing and where things will be posted. Please get the word out there and share this with your friends around Denver and the world. And together, we can make this a city of fruit.